This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. open the voice gate for august 18th 2022 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us on the voices of wrestling podcast network feed or our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you'd like to donate to the show click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site you click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation no obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joining alongside your other host, Case Lowe. And Case, you know how two weeks ago I was really excited about fall? Like, I was feeling it. It is not that way anymore. They've taken fall from me. America's sweetheart. How can this be? They've taken fall from you? Is, is fall a victim of cancel culture that I'm unaware of? No, it's uh, right now 39 degrees outside. Oh my god, that seems really cold for your neck of the woods. Yeah, uh, I, usually that is. It, usually that's like a December weather, not a middle of October weather. And it was like right after, like we had like weekends that was like fifties into the seventies. You know, delightful stuff. The leaves are changing. I'm thriving, but you know, I think they heard that I am too much of a fall boy. And they did away with it. Well, Mike, a lot of people have been talking about you. Uh, You know, we just went over the show plan before we hit record. I did have a topic I wanted to bring up that is not on the show plan. Let's get into it now because, you know, you and I both had very big weekends related to the Dragon system this weekend. And your update, which we will get into now, is that Dave Meltzer hates you. He hates you on a personal level. He saw you talking shit about your, or rather his GCW review. He X'd your name out of getting a Hall of Fame ballot, and I would like you to speak on that. Wow. Okay. I I, I wasn't planning on making this a uh, a big thing, but all right. Yeah. I I lot, assume... lot, hey, Mike Mike a lot of ballots sent out this year. A lot of ballots sent out to new people. Not seeing one for Mike Spears. Yeah, and uh. I know that when you play a fly ammo, people can get hurt. So, like, I, I, I'm sorry. I stand by everything I've done over the summer, pointing out Dave and Wrestling Observer's inconsistent reporting and, you know, lack of care. 
I, I, I think is what I say, and a uh, decrease, I would say, in any sort of journalistic standards, especially as it pertains to things around the dragon system. So not, not me, not me. I, you know, Dave, yeah, you, Dave yeah. beat for beat has nailed it. I think Nozawa is doing a great job booking the company. I'm really <laughs> happy. He's running things that he's in the room, that he is the one making all of these big, important decisions. It, it's Nozawa's company and we're just living it. And then Dave Meltzer has been right all along. I, I mean, I I'll say it this way and this will be, I, I, I feel kind of gross a little bit. Uh, I, I like being this navel gazy. I I think that at this point, like if it, I I'm not going to like brown nose Dave, and I think my reputation, at least amongst Dragon Gate, and I would say now just in general, uh, merits it. And if it's something that he was hurt by the fact that I pointed out inconsistencies, and just for the record, I do have like the receipts about how bad data was off about the whole Dragon Gate thing. Just by the way, and, oh, I, don't, and, I don't think most people realize how off we think he is. Right. Yeah. No. And it's something that I, 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 Casey, you talked me down from basically just going into like a minefield with a knife, like initially going after it. So, you know, I, it, it is what it is. You know, if it ends up that I am blacklisted from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Do you think that's going to be something that I'm going to let live down ever? No, this this seems like something that will stick under your craw for years and years to come. Do I think you were blacklisted? No. Do I think Dave was unorganized and probably at some point considered sending you a ballot and then didn't? Absolutely. Uh, but no, this is something that I think will bother you uh, for a very long time. I, I mean, there is like a, a bit of personal validation. And, and, <laughs> and, and can we say, and I'll admit, like, should I tie any bit of self-esteem to that sort of thing no absolutely not i i admit that but you know it, it's something that if anything like this just now gets me in a position that if it ever does happen i'm full-on levitarding it at this point well luckily for me you no longer do a podcast with aaron bentley you are free to talk about the Hall of Fame without getting like kicked in the nuts or whatever your guys' bet was. I don't, I don't punched I, in the neck, punched there, in the yeah. neck, and he still has a punch to cash in on that I, unlike under EE, I will be properly monetizing. <laughs> um, I'll let that sit there for a second. Um, we have two Dragon System guys on the Hall of Fame ballot this year. I ask you this, one, because I'm curious, two, because I am recording a Hall of Fame podcast tomorrow, and I haven't put much thought into it, and I would love to steal any good talking points that you have for this. Any new thoughts on Shima as a Hall of Famer? Where do you stand on him? Has the Gleet portion of his career changed your thoughts at all? Thoughts on Shima as a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer? Uh, I think my, and it's something that I would still like openly, uh, there are four people within the dragon system that I think is outright a crime that aren't going to be hall of famers. And two of them are on the ballot this year. One of them might get in, but it's not going to be for being a dragon gate guy, but Shima is one of those four. But I have to say, if you're someone who does look at business metrics, he is someone who went from being a cornerstone of a promotion that was regularly selling out. Five, uh, four figures buildings monthly along with like upper four to eight thousand five times a year among his name gone to a place where they just now broke a thousand for the first time ever and i think that's something that has to be held in regard because gleet in a lot of ways was built around him so 
I think that hurts his drawing power. Does would it change my vote for him? No, but I think it's something that if you were a if you're someone who is 50-50 on Glee, I know Joe Land or or on Shima, I know Joe Lanza was someone that for a long time was openly just like I don't know how I feel about this. Like it's can go either way and it's always kind of like the game day decision for him when he sends it in for that. I could see that actually greatly negatively influencing certain people if that makes sense okay very interesting because i i completely disagree with a few of your points there in a rare moment on this podcast where i would defend gleet and i always i always try to make it clear that you know i am rooting for this company to succeed i am just not hopeful uh for their future they did launch during the pandemic they they launched in the absolute worst time in history, in the history of Japanese wrestling, the industry has never been in worse shape. Am I impressed when they draw 700 to Cork and Hall? No, I am not. But I do think it is a little tough to compare Shima in the Red Hot Dragon Gate run Cork and numbers to the Gleet Cork and numbers of now. I will also push back on the idea that Gleet is built around Shima. I don't think that's true at all. I think Gleet is built around l lindeman and outsiders for the most part shima does not strike me as a top guy in this promotion at all isn't he like the president though this is his promotion yeah but i don't i i don't think he's looked at like when they're running a cork and show they're running tokyo dome city that's fair yeah she, no, you're shima, right. shima might be an important matches but i don't think they're rubbing their hands together wondering how many tickets shima himself is going to bring to the box office I think that it does, though, because everything from their marketing from the outset had Shima as, like, this figure and as, like, Shima, like, talent development thing. So if it's something that, like, is he, like, primarily the influence for that stuff? No, because it's a, it's a Lindemann and the Outsiders like you're talking about. But, but I still is, think... that, is that different than Dragon Gate? And this is a bad example with Gate of Destiny coming up. But if you look at, you know, a Dead or Alive poster, Yamato is going to be front and center even if, say, Shun versus Kakuta is the Dreamgate match, and they're hoping that that brings people to the building. Is there any... Do you, do you see the correlation I'm trying to make here? I I mean, isn't she... I, I mean, I know that I'm going to pull up Gleet poster, just... Uh, <laughs> what, I, a, I, what, I, what, what a filthy search. I can't imagine what comes up there. <laughs> it's very grimy. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can't even find, like, the... the uh, what Well... Anyways, like, I, I think it's something that, like, yeah, when you talk about this, all right, I see now, like, the way they promote their stuff, it, it's something where Shima's never in, like, the central image point, but he still is prominently there, which is something that they even, like, would, towards the tail end of the days, he was in Dragon Gate. So, I, I, I think that he's still marketed as such. I mean, we went on the show and said that Masato Yoshino being there was a marketing ploy. I mean, I think that you have to say the same for Shima, if not stronger. I think that's fair. I don't. I think it's fair to say they look at him as a draw. I don't think it's fair to say they've built the promotion around him. Well, maybe I should rephrase that because then you, you are right about that. But it, would you say that this promotion is in Shima's image, at least the G-Pro things and the fact that it's the G-Infinity and G-Rex and, and like this thing? Like this is very much like I, I, I'm trying to drop doing isms here, but this is very much like Shima's mindset. Oh, 100%. But that I, that is from more of a behind-the-scenes thing, which I don't I don't really factor that into him as an active wrestler in the Observer Hall of Fame. He, you know, he, he for all we know, could be the worst booker in the world, but if he draws for 15 years in Drangate like he did, then he's in the Hall of Fame to me. 
Right. Yeah. And, and and again, I'm sitting, I would still vote for him. Like, uh, uh, like unrequitedly, like he's someone that I think that you have to have, like, you can't tell the story pro wrestling, especially considering how important of a, uh, of an event March 31st, 2006 was. And the farther we go with it, you can't tell it. You can't have it all famous to tell the story of wrestling without Shima in it. So it doesn't change my vote in it, but I, again, I can see business stuff being the issue. You can talk me out of this. I, I think uh, the podcast I go on tomorrow will will not be as in favor of this take as possibly you are. But I still look at this ballot. I look at all of the modern New Japan guys that are on there. I look at the North American region, which is a little bizarre. And I and I should state this is uh, my thoughts on modern U.S. and Canada and uh, Japanese candidates, nothing historical, nothing in Mexico, although I would like to get to a point next year where I'm knowledgeable enough to vote in the Mexico region. But between Japan and modern North America, I think Shima is the strongest candidate on the ballot. I, I, I mean, I think that I, I don't like the Enoki double dip it, dipping this year. No, I, I'm, I'm out on the tag teams. Uh yeah. It, with the way Dave has capped it at, what is it, six per region? Uh, if uh, I can't find it in the email. It's either five or six per region. And that, with the way I have things laid out right now, would cut off Holy Demon Army. And I, I think I would vote for Holy Demon Army in another year. But I am out on all of the tag teams I I see what he's doing, but I don't like it. And as a result, and things might change next year, but I am I am abstaining from any of the one guys already in, but his tag team partner isn't tag teams. Yeah, yeah. And I think also like the the fact that I think it's doubly kind of I, I don't want to say it's cheap because the ballots were, were definitely set before Antonio Noki died, but there will be a huge bump for that. And I think that takes because if you want to take like talk like ballot math, like if you're limited to so many votes per region, one vote for Inoki is a vote basically for no is is a vote vote you're taking away for the region. So that's something, especially like what I'm right now looking about it. Actually, he, here's the funny thing, case I have not really taken that hard of a look at the ballot yet. <laughs> like, but it, it's something that like especially when I look at the at the Japanese region, like I think that. Shingo Takagi is one of the top 10 wrestlers of all time. So I think he's a stronger candidate than Shema. But I, I, I get where you're coming from with your point. Uh, let's, I, I want to get to Shingo. That was a great transition. I do have to back up to something that I'm, I'm just now realizing. Do you think it's odd that it's Choshu and Animal Hamaguchi and not Choshu and Yatsu on the ballot? Yeah, I, I think this is the way getting Animal Hamaguchi in. To be honest, yeah, because, he's so, I, I, because he's someone who deserves to get in, especially considering the influence of Hamaguchi Jim, and not to count like the Ishin Gundam stuff, right? Like the like he has stuff there that I think is a tremendous influence. If it's not even in like the the people who do the Gordy list, like it's stuff that I find incredibly influential, and it's just something that I think with this current electorate, you kind of need to have in with Choshu, and I think that hurts Yatsu. I asked. A few months ago in the Voices of Wrestling Discord in the Hall of Fame channel, if there was any sort of notable Hamaguchi drawing record, because I, I would have been in on 
if he was a really strong draw with the obvious influence that he has, and I, I enjoy him as a wrestler. I don't, I don't think he's anywhere near a Hall of Fame level wrestler, but I enjoy him. And if there were numbers to back up him as like a really important figure in the late 70s, early 80s, I would have been all on board. But I, I was kind of told like, eh, not really an IWE. And, you know, nobody pointed to anything specific in New Japan for me to look at. So I'm, I'm out on that. And I would probably be more into... Choshu and Yatsu as a tag team. That's something I'll that's something I'm gonna ask about uh to that's a few fair. people because I'm curious about that. Let's talk about Shingo really quick. You and I both have him as one of the 10 best wrestlers of all time. To me, he could wrestle in an empty arena his entire career with that output. He is in the Hall of Fame. What about his other two categories? Where do you look at Shingo as an influence and him as a draw? So draw, I think, is easier to discern because we already have data. In a lot of ways, I think that he was someone that took a while to be a draw, but it's the same case with basically all of the big six, you know, but even more so, like, he was the more egregious kind of, like, oh, this, he was not ready, or the company or the fan base was not ready in 2008 when they tried to draw off him, but also you have the mitigating circumstances that Shima had a broken neck, and that wasn't supposed to be the time for that, really, so... I think, though, that when you, like, take away, like, the fact of 2008 and you're more considering it and from, like, 2011, I would say, and, and that's not to dismiss him drawing internationally before that, you, you're talking about someone who has proven to be a draw and two major – at, at in the two major men's companies in this region. Like, he's he's proven that he can do that, and I think that it's something that he has not had – the length of a run in New Japan that like Kota Bushi did, but I think it's something that arguably Shingo Takaki is a better draw outside of New Japan than Kota Bushi was in DDT. And I think that that's something that comparatively Shingo is a better draw than a lot of people will acknowledge about the, his time in Dragon Gate. The international drawing stuff is interesting to look at because, you know, you and I obviously did the Dragon Gate USA Rewind and Rewatch series and there was no doubt about it that although, you know, Shima's the focal point and guys like Yamato and BB Hulk held the open the Freedom Gate title, the biggest Dragon Gate star in the history of Dragon Gate USA is Shingo Takagi. He main events the first show. He's there in pretty much exclusively main event matches the entire first year through that Danielson versus Shingo five-star match. And when he leaves, you see a direct decline in attendance that noticeably shoots right back up to four figures when he wrestles Gargano WrestleMania weekend. There, There is a very clear Shingo matters in this promotion. I think drawing is very relative. I think context has to be applied to drawing. And in the context of the the late 2000, late 2000 U.S. independent scene, Shingo, Shingo Takagi was an absolute draw. Yeah, and that's not getting into DGUK, you know? Yeah, that's and... a good point, yeah. And I mean, also, I mean, I would have to get into the numbers about it, but I'd be, I would wager to say that Shingo has also been a positive draw, you know, that that would be eight years later, whenever New Japan has come to the United States, if it's New Japan of America, if it's New Japan Strong, if it's the, uh, the high spots shows, you know, like, I would say that there's probably a lot of evidence there that maybe it's something that. I think that for an electorate that needs to adapt to the time, they have to acknowledge the fact that he was doing indie run stuff before like the Young Bucks, you know, and he was a draw at that time. 
And it's something that I don't think that a lot of voters, and this is like a wider topic, to be quite honest. I I don't think that there that there that this electorate has over the past decade, and I, I would argue uh, probably will in the future, unless things change, is willing to like accept certain things about certain realities to be frank about independent wrestling in the United States and probably the UK as well, because we're probably going to get to into a conversation about that in five to 10 years. Oh, I, I, there's nothing I look forward to more than the Will Ospreay wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame discussion. I mean, somebody who is a, is a between the legs behind the back reverse slam dunk candidate who people are going to twist themselves into knots to not vote for. I really am excited for that. One more observer hall of fame topic before we move on to what people actually want to listen to and throw one name at you. I would like any thoughts that you have. I'm sure you have plenty. I would like to hear them. Non wrestler category, wrestling observer, newsletter, hall of fame, Rossi Ogawa. He is, and this is this will be something for a very small, uh, uh, like sliver of our listenership that are basically people who are, uh, who are just as much sickos about college football as they are about Dragon Gate case. Well, I'm gonna say this: that, that there's a theory about general man or, or about athletic directors put forth by Stephen Godfrey. If someone is a gangster, or someone is a ninja. Rossi Agawa might be the biggest gangster possible. And I mean that with like positive, with all the positive negative that comes with it. But I think that him being on the ballot with this, like his biggest argument is longevity and getting a company, a, a billion dollar company to buy his uh, Joshi promotion. Like that's what it's like. It, it is. This is a guy who's been in the industry for 50 years at this point. Like maybe it's even more like dating back to Pete Zenjo and has been a part of Joshi wrestling ever since then and led promotions that failed then finally started stardom and that was the one that that took and that was the one that survived long enough for bushi road to buy it i don't necessarily think he's a strong booker whatsoever but i think that it's something that as a non-wrestler i well the thing is that you'd he would instantly like it would have to be a yes or a straight up yes or no because you if you are voting for Rossi Gawa, that means you're also voting the Japan category, correct? So, like, we would already have to be considering him in this circumstance, right? Because if we vote for Japan and then vote for another non-wrestler, that's also going to count as a no vote for Rossi Gawa unless it's a yes, correct? So this is where the voting always confuses me. I, I, that sounds right, that, that Rossi counts towards Japan, but with the new rules that are in place, the non-wrestlers don't count towards the five or six limit per category they're in their own little bubble of how many you can vote for yeah so, so oh my god this is it's, it's I, convoluted i, I forgot it, how confusing dave makes this un, un, unnecessarily so unnecessarily so so i i would say no if anything like you have i think you have to be a legacy because i don't think booking necessarily is a strong suit because i can't look at what's happened since 2019 when Bushiro bought that company and said, hey, I think Rossi Agawa was the person behind all that. I, I think a lot of that was Bushiro money machine. As a promoter for stardom, one 5,000 plus gate and including that show, five at 2,000 plus. And that is nice. Yeah, what are we that doing is, here? That is cute. That is not a Hall of Fame level promoter. Yeah, like what are we doing here? Because then there's like it, 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 if we're talking about that, then there's so many promoters 
are would be uh would be valid if you're going to take just his promoting record. I look, I I've said it before. There's there's nothing I'm more baffled by than the the stardom uh I guess obsession with the uh, with whatever they're drawing. I'm trying to look real quick to see what their last Cork and Hall show did before the pandemic. And obviously, they are one of the few promotions that has grown during COVID. But I am just so curious. It looks like February eighth, two thousand twenty. Okay, they did they did fifteen hundred in Cork and Hall, which is not a bad number by any means at that time, that- or especially now. But and, and for them, that was their biggest Corkin number today. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they've ever. Yeah, they they would have never put an eighteen hundred in Corkin before. Yeah, and like they would have different sets and setups, like how smaller promotions do to, to be able to claim it because they they'll just take away the stage. Like the like it's something that like they only recently like did open like completely open up Corkin for them. So that they, they never came close to before then. So. With that in mind, and I mean this with all due respect to our big stardom fans, if you haven't sold out Cork and Hall in the full setup, I do not want to hear about you as a Hall of Fame promoter. Yeah, because then, I mean, God, if we're talking about selling 1,500 seats in Cork and as like a Hall of Fame worthy candidate, then we're going to be talking about a whole lot of people. Like, you, you got to have standards at one point. Absolutely. So that is uh, that is Observer Hall of Fame talk. Thank you for going along with that, Mike. Uh, do we do we talk about the U.S. indie scene now? <laughs> or another favorite topic of ours? Yeah, let's just get straight into it. So the big stuff in DGUSA or DGNUSA. Shouldn't they know that like the two of us would get our tongue tied on that uh, hashtag? But DG and you, how, DG, dare, how dare they not think of that? I mean, man, seriously, uh, DGNUSA. That probably like I would say. One of the biggest like stops for this was in your neck of the woods case in AAW with the Jim Lyman Memorial Tournament with Yamato. He had matches on both nights in case you got to have a a, a fun journey. I would say you got to make some some new friends this week. And so I kind of want to get your like live report first. Yeah, you know, obviously. I think a lot of people remember my Tomohiro Ishii encounter about six years ago and the awkwardness of that. Uh, Listeners of this show might recall when I met Ultimo Dragon in February of this year, and he saw my white ass walk up to the merch table with a Dragon Gate t-shirt on, and he hit me with that no hablo inglés. He was not in the mood to listen to me talk about Takuma Fujiwara and whatever else I wanted to say to him. Uh, So that was a pretty brief interaction. Uh, this This was a very fun weekend. Obviously, anybody that follows at Open Voice Get on Twitter might have seen me and my good friend, Dr. Keith Lipinski, and Yamato and Akira Tozawa posted up. Uh, that, that photo was on Twitter. I'm extremely, extremely happy with that. And, and thank you to Keith and to the AEW office for setting that up because they certainly did not have to do that, but they did. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I should first note that Akira Tozawa was there hanging out with Yamato he did watch the entire show. He seemed relatively invested in most of the matches, which was really cool to see. Uh, I I don't know if this is impolite or perhaps unprofessional to say, given that he is back in the wrestling world, but Gabe Sapolsky is the one that took that photo. <laughs> um, Gabe was there hanging out and... Uh, he he, uh, he has a photo with Yamato and Tozawa as well. Unfortunately, I don't I don't have a great Yamato story. I, I got a text from Dr. Keith saying, meet me by the stairs right now. 
And sure enough, it was Yamato and Tozawa. And the four of us got a picture. And I thank Yamato for coming over. I, uh, of course, had to throw my two cents out there. I, I, I said, Yamato, uh, next time in Chicago, maybe maybe Jason Lee, maybe Takuma Fujiwara. And he laughed when I said Fujiwara, like, oh, oh okay. Because um, Dr. Keith was trying to put over that I'm, I'm a big Dragon Gate fan. So I, I, I don't have a great story there. I didn't embarrass myself. I, I said hello to Tozawa. Uh, I, I thanked him and whatnot, and uh, then uh, had a very brief, very broken English conversation with Yamato, uh, both that night and then the next night. Uh, once again, I, I cannot express to you how kind Yamato was in my brief interactions with him. I, I Again, I talked to him for under a minute on the second night of the tournament uh, just to make sure that he was good and ask if he needed anything and could not have been more polite in our, our brief interaction. So I, I really hope that uh, if Yamato comes to your neck of the woods, I know he's working Defy and I think Prestige out in the Pacific Northwest, go to those shows. And if you get a chance to say hello, I, I highly recommend it because he was incredibly, incredibly kind uh, when he spoke to me. And it also helped that he was in one good match over the weekend and one great match. Mike, did you get a chance? I know you've been a busy man. Did you get a chance to watch Yamato's matches in AAW? Yes, I did. And it was something that I saved that kind of for last for my viewing just to keep it fresh here. And yeah, no. So on the first night, he had a match with, uh, I don't know if he's still technically a member of it, but uh, former Stronghearts member Zachary once. And then for the first round and then on the second night, it was against Fred Yehi and yeah, uh, I think, should we just get into the matches? Uh, or you yeah, want... I, I'd like to know your thoughts on them. So, uh, with Zachary Wentz, uh, the match Zachary Wentz was a good match. It's one of those things with all the caveats with Zachary Wentz, which I have to say, on I don't know who said it on commentary, but that there was a line about uh, a lot taken from Zachary Wentz on commentary that I was like, oh, I that that's certainly one way to talk about this, but okay. But the match itself I thought was pretty strong. I, I went three and I went three and a half on it. Uh, I I do have to say I liked uh, I, as someone who's like really now like diving into AEW and stuff like this. I have to say like I think that there is no promotion in the United States that probably actually shoots their wrestling as well as AAW, and that really kind of struck me with the kind of work that Yamato does. And I think that that was really kind of cool. And that was like one of my big takeaways with that match. What was your thoughts? I like this a lot. I went three and a half on it as well. It was striking to see Yamato in person, you know, uh, other than Ultimo, who I've seen wrestle twice. I had seen zero members of the Drangate roster wrestle in person. So to see him come out and just uh, on a show with a lot of big names to see Yamato come out and just immediately present himself like the biggest star in the room was was a pretty spectacular thing to watch. And I I, I thought this was you know, basically like a nice TV match. This is the kind of thing that you would get in Sambo Hall, and I think we'd all be satisfied with it. So so this was pretty solid, and it set the table for what was to come on night two. Yeah, like the the one thing I'll say that it, even with like the, a couple quibbles I, I had with commentary, like, like outside Zachary Wentz thing, but like what about Yamato? Uh, Yamato came off like the ace of a promotion entering a tournament and i thought that aw and him really kind of conducted itself in a way that i did not feel that way with yamato and gcw and i feel like that that was a very marked difference and it was a it was a difference that i felt like was more in more, more in tune of reality i would say so <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I appreciate in, I, that i i sent in a live report to uh a few different wrestling websites as i typically do when i'm at aw shows and the thing that i noted was 
I don't think the crowd knew Yamato's big moves, but I think they knew that Yamato was a big deal and they treated him like such. Yeah, and I think that definitely came off even more so in the second round match with Fred Yehai. Uh So Yamato won the first round match with a Frankensteiner of the Almighty. Uh, Yehai defeats him with a, Koji, with a Koji clutch in the second round match. And boy, is there anyone who is probably on the indie scene like outside of working like a blood sport or UWFI rules kind of thing, like better suited for Yamato than Fred Yehai? Uh, this is the match that I was really, really hoping for when I heard that Yamato was going to work these shows. I, I wanted either Josh Alexander or Fred Yehai, who are two of AEW's probably three biggest stars, along with Jake Something. I was really hoping we would get one of those guys wrestling Yamato, and I, I'm I'm so thrilled that this match happened because if you're somebody who enjoy enjoys Fred Yehai's work, but wonder like hey what why does this guy not work other places i completely agree but he's a regular naaw he is pushed there he does great character work there he is an absolute delight in this promotion and being in the building for this match this felt like a big deal this was a match the crowd recognized oh this is something And, and and i again i don't know if they realize you know if most people there realize that yamato has a grappling background that for people like you and I, we actually kind of prefer him in matches like this compared to maybe a more high paced Drangate match that people normally think of when they think of that style. So for me, this was, I guess, a borderline dream match. I mean, given Yamato's American tour, this was about as dreamy as it could get. And I, in the building, went four and a half stars. I thought this was just absolutely brilliant. So I, I, I will say one thing that hurt me in this match, and it's not anyone's fault to be clear uh so i recorded uh, a show with alan farrell yesterday for pro wrestling paradise and he asked me if i already seen it i did not see it at that point but he he mentions like well i'm really interested in your thoughts because i felt like that some stuff was kind of left there and i had that thought in my mind like oh so alan kind of thought that and it, it it's something where like this match like if it had like five more minutes and was able to because because i felt like this felt like a tournament match or a Dreamgate match that was portioned as a tournament, and then they cut time off of it to make it a tournament match, in a way. Okay, that is an extremely interesting observation, given what I know about the match, which is that Alan's assumption is correct, that they they had stuff planned that they did not get to. Yeah, no, and, and I was four and a quarter on it. Like, this is the best match on the excursion uh, out of DG and USA so far. Like, I think that it's much better than anything that happened in GCW, and it's something that I enjoyed even more than Shun Skywalker versus Dragon Lee. Like, this was... Yes, I would uh, co-sign that. Th- th- this was absolutely phenomenal. Like, something we actually should have done, or it might be something fun to do after, that when we get to year and stuff, is, like, take everyone uh, who went on an excursion. Like, this is something that if we did ahead of time, this would have been a real fun game. Like pick like dream matches for everyone, like in retrospect, like this, because Freddie A. High was not a person that I would have considered that for Yamato until I watched the match. I was like, oh, no shit, Spears. Like the the the, the work around Freddie A. High doing the leg the leg scissors, rear naked choke, and Yamato turning it into like a leg grip into an ankle lock was just fascinating stuff. I was like, yeah, no wonder. These two guys were excellent together. It was tremendous. And I'm glad you brought up that specific spot because it was, from my vantage point in the building, and I I haven't watched these matches back on tape yet. I I will at some point, but Yamato was basically facing the balcony when that 
leg spot happened and to have him so boldly like point basically down and go like look what i'm doing i'm inflicting the submission was one of those like oh my god oh this is so good and that's really to me when the match went up a level so i th- i i've always wanted to see yay high against Drangate wrestlers because although stylistically other than maybe a Yamato or a Mochizuki there aren't a ton of similarities between uh the typical Drangate house style and what Fred Yehai does I think they are both so unique and I I think the world of Fred I mean I I think he is one of the best wrestlers in the world I need to catch up on his New Japan strong stuff because the little bit that I or I guess not a little bit but the the work I've seen from him in AAW this year has been so captivating as it was the year before, as it was in 2020 when he first came into the promotion when they were doing some limited capacity fan shows. Uh, he He's the man. He is somebody that I really wish more people would latch on to. Uh, you know, do I ever see him doing a tour of Drangate? No, but I would certainly love to see that. And if you enjoyed Fred versus Yamato, he wrestled Calvin Tankman on the first night, and that was the best match on night one. That match was also awesome. Yeah, it, it's something where I look at at least the style that is currently wrestling Dragon. Like the one thing I'll say on commentary uh, about commentary, where I thought like in general presentation was solid. Commentary, okay, so I'll be interested in getting your thoughts on the, the commentator commentating after you, you heard it. Uh, like the the one thing that that it that we knew was going to be difficult was with someone like Yamato who does not, as you said, like this is the kind of stuff where I think he truly excels in. Like yes, he wrestles the 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 sprint style and like tags and like the three-way six mans and stuff like that but that's not really his bread and butter but commentary constantly calling relentless pace kind of got old to me <laughs> but between this between the ai match and the wins one like, okay in in general what did you think of the commentary because again i i have not heard but the uh the, the lead guy is tyler voles and then on the first night it was joe dombrowski who was a I, I think a total pro and then the second night i don't know who that was but joe was doing the triple mania show so whoever that was was filling in yeah uh i joe i i think actually is someone that as soon as he figured out that yamato was not that kind of guy really like added a lot to the match L- like talking about like how holds were worked in a way i thought that that was really smart i thought tyler was solid like i think that veda has been the person i've been most impressed with as scott still to this point but i thought that i i thought that tyler put in a good shift like i enjoyed him tyler tyler's really good i i don't know if he does commentary outside of aaw but if you're an indie company in the midwest i would recommend getting tyler vols to do your shows i i he he is somebody in the same way that i got annoyed last week because nobody in gcw gives a shit tyler vols is somebody that tries really really hard on every show i have heard him grow as a commentator over God, he's been doing it probably four years now and continues to get better. And that is something that I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say like, it's something that like you could tell the effort and it was appreciated as someone who was not familiar with his commentating style that often, you know, Good. Uh, the, the filling guy on the second night uh, just was, would not stop talking about having six grand on Freddie high winning the tournament. And it was very dismissive of Yamato, which is just one of those things. It's like, all right, man. Okay. That's, that's okay. So on night two, I was basically sitting directly next to the commentary table and I was sitting next to that guy and it seemed okay. like he was doing a lot of shtick throughout the night. So that yeah. makes sense. I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that. I, I could only make it, I, I could only okay all right I could only make out bits and pieces throughout the night it didn't seem like something I would enjoy uh just sitting next to him and well obviously I'll, I'll cross that bridge later in the week but from what it seems like on your end 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but professional presentation treated Yamato with respect and two matches worth watching. Yeah, no, it's something that like if I were just going to not as someone who has been doing a lot of stuff lately, rewatching US Indies after swearing it off for a bit, if it wasn't necessarily like for that, if I was just someone watching for Dragon Gate stuff, I would come away from that being like, okay, I don't feel insulted by this. <laughs> like, uh, like I felt like it was something that would be like enough for me that if I knew Yamato was coming back, I'd definitely be watching it. It's something that I think I like what High Spots does with the production with that. I don't know. I don't think it's like the full High Spots crew out there for that. But no, I, it's it, it's the AAW crew and High Spots just streams it. But AAW's had that level of production for a yeah. number of years now. I think that it's probably the best production in the United States. And yeah. it's something that, like, I fully, like, it, it's a point that you made a lot. It's something that really helps the territory vibe really kind of come off the screen. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about AEW. And it, it's both a gift and a curse because I, I fully admit that my interest in the promotion has waned over the last year and a half or so. But they were at one point, you know, a super indie who was able to bring in, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. and Pentagon and Phoenix and Chris Hero and all these other guys when the USND scene was hot and to their credit, they have transitioned into a promotion where a guy like Jake, something feels like a really big deal. And a guy like Matt Fitchett and Davey Vega, they feel like really big deals and they have these own homegrown stars. I mean, the best example of this was a guy like Ace Romero, who you can kind of laugh off and go like, Oh, he's just, you know, the, the giant 400 pounder. What can he do? But I was in the building when, uh, when Ace Romero challenged for the AEW world heavyweight championship. And that felt like an event that felt like a huge deal when they did AC versus Josh Alexander. And it's because in that promotion, in the context of AEW, Ace Romero for a point in time was a big deal. And they do a really good job of that. Obviously, it's not as flashy on paper. You know, it might be hard for somebody to get excited about, uh, God bless his soul, Davey Vega being in the tournament finals. But I'm invested in Davey Vega. I'm invested in the little unit he's got. And so I was into it throughout the weekend. Yeah, it, it's something that like I, I the, his little you his little stable did provide one of the more interesting gifts of the weekend that I did see outside of this. Like, cause I was at a festival all weekend. I'll be honest, like it was it was like a food and wine festival in Greenville. So I was catching. Well, what's up the uh, what's the name? I can't think. I'm drawing a blank on her name. What's Bix's girlfriend's name? Oh, Kaya McKenna. Yeah, yep, her yep, her yep. fucking up her shoulder by hitting Mike Ben in the back is one of the more fascinating things I've ever seen. Yeah, almost wanted Zapruder film that. It really in the building. It I knew something went wrong, but I couldn't tell what it was. And then I went home and saw the gif, and I was kind of flabbergasted that I've never seen an injury quite like that before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of, uh, you know that that that's kind of uh, wondrous in a way. Like I, I, but I mean that that's what happens when you hurt your wing, man. When when you hurt your arm and your shoulder, like that's something that it'll continuously give you issues. You know, I mean, we see that we've seen that a lot in Dragon Gate. You know, fingers crossed for Madoka Kakuta. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's something where, like, I think that I just kind of put a bow on it. Like that, the Yehai match was exactly. It, it was almost like what you dreamed of in a lot of ways. You know, <laughs> like it, it's it, it did it take me back to like 2010, like GG USA. No, but it's something where I felt like that it was like showing Yamato in his best in a way that it would easily make like if I was ever going to do like a best of Yamato uh, outside of Japan comp tape, this would be like, if not like the ender of the like the last match 
it would be something in a very prominent position. Okay, that's great. That's that's. Uh, I know that's what AEW set out to do was to again treat this guy with respect, treat him like a big deal. And Yamato certainly seemed to enjoy himself. Uh, again, from my brief interactions with him, he was in a very, very, very good mood despite being on little to no sleep. And uh, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to bring him back, I, I think both parties would be interested. Yeah, and he can get himself a whole lot of ice houses. <laughs> yeah, he, he, I, I will give you the scoop off air of what Yamato ordered at the grocery store because, of course, Fair enough. I tracked down his handler and I when I heard they went to the grocery <laughs> together, I said, what did he get? Let me write this down. <laughs> normal behavior, bud. Normal. Of course. No, very, very, very normal. <laughs> yeah. Support for Open the Voice Gate this week comes to us with HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. In case, like, as I just mentioned, like, like we're in fall here. You have all kinds of inspired items in HelloFresh, and especially Right now, you can get your pumpkin spice and eat it, too, with a rotating selection of fall-inspired items from HelloFresh Market, from brunch kits to a fall dessert board. Uh, man, they had to have, like, some some solid apple cider, like, pastries out of that. Maybe not pastries, but, you know, like, maybe cake balls. But you could, you'll find everything you need for all your favorite autumn occasions, like tailgating, Oktoberfest, and more. Brother... I've got a woman in my life, nothing serious, nothing substantial, but a new woman that I really enjoy spending time with. And given that it is the fall season, I am looking to cozy up and save money. One of the things that I would describe this girl as being is very cozy. She has plenty of blankets. She has plenty of sweatpants. She is a comfortable person at all times. And when we are in the kitchen, we are making stuff like silky penne pasta. We are diving in to ingredients in meals like the bacon buckaroo burgers. There is so many options with HelloFresh. They make cooking fun. They make cooking easy. An idiot like me can do it. There's no reason that you shouldn't be doing it too with the Voices of Wrestling promo code. So Case, I'm looking at this menu here, and I'm just going to throw this out here as I think that this would be like such a, such a good couple meal. Truffle risotto with herb with herb chicken. Like, uh, that, that sounds that sounds like a an incredibly romantic evening. Uh, you know, uh, perhaps the woman that I'm seeing, perhaps she has a birthday coming up, and and could you imagine anything better than spending your birthday with an incredibly anxious Caselo in the kitchen trying to make you a truffle risotto with herb chicken? I can't imagine a better way to spend my favorite day of the year. Well, okay. So the great thing about HelloFresh is. You'll get you'll be anxious a little bit, but it's all right because HelloFresh, like the menus are incredible. Like it tells you everything you need to know, or you can pull up the the app on your phone and it'll do step by step with video clips there. They can walk you through potentially one of the most anxious dinners of your life. Chili ginger pork noodles. That is on my menu this upcoming week. I cannot wait to devour it. So you want to get in on this? This is what you do. You go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW65 and use code VOW65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That is going to HelloFresh.com slash VOW65, VOW65, and use code VOW65 for 65% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. So, Case, it was 
busy in your neck of the woods. It was also busy in Dragon Gate's neck of the woods as they did. I think this is like the second year in a row where they had a autumn doubleheader in the friendly confines of Kobe Sambo Hall this last weekend. And we had title matches. We had both a Brave Gate match and a Triangle Gate match. Uh, what were your big takeaways from this weekend's shows in Kobe? Fun shows. Uh, maybe not the top to bottom consistency that I would hope for, but I left this weekend with both title matches hitting the spreadsheet, one at four stars, one a little bit higher. So we will cross that bridge when we come to it. And, you know, we just spent so much time talking about Yamato and America and the little bit of excursions that are still left or, you know, excursions for SB Kento, Fujiwara and La Estrella, and then for Skywalker and Yamato, you know, their, their North American vacations. We talked right after Kobe world about how this was going to be the really challenging period for the promotion that, you know, you and I were hopeful that 2023 could be very prosperous, but we weren't really sure what September and October and November were going to look like. And as I've tried to hammer home as much as I can on this podcast, Numbers have only gone up after Kobe World. 393 fans in Kobe Samba Hall for the October 16th show. That is the most they have had in this building since the start of the pandemic. They are doing it with Yuki Yoshioka on top, but I feel like it's worth noting. And, and Mike, tell me if you think there's smoke to this fire. We talk about how Corgan attendances continue to grow August, September, October with Mochizuki Jr. having matches announced ahead of time. Kobe Sambo Hall 10-16-22. Mochizuki Jr. has a title match announced ahead of time, and they put 393 in the building. Should we really start to look at Mochizuki Jr. as not, you know, the face that runs the place, but as a small needle mover that we should pay attention to? Well, it's something that I think that you look at how things have gone with M3K with him. I think that it's something that the act, when it's especially with where the father and son stuff and play, always pays off. Or if it's stuff as we saw with Ishinahashi. So I think that there is that that's something that I'm going to want to keep an eye on. The, the one thing that kind of stood out to me was so, Case, you remember what big match happened in this building this time last year? that was so big and was so successful that they decided they had to go move it to a cork and then run it back. SB Kento versus the then funky Jackie Kame, now Jackie Funky Kame. Yes. Maybe it's something that I, if you look at like Kung Fu Masters and stuff like this, like the act that has been so dedicated to be a Kobe specific thing, maybe we should give some credit to Jackie Funky Kame at this point too, at least in this venue. I'm certainly on board with that. I, I I have no argument against that. I love Kung Fu Masters. I, I really, I love this region-specific unit, even though I, I it looked like for a minute that they were going to branch out and just become a full-time unit post-Natural Vibes. It doesn't seem like that's the direction given the promos that took place this weekend. But I love this unit. You know, Jason, I, I have said enough about. Jackie is obviously, you know, somebody that we both love. Ho-Ho certainly plays his part well. I, I can't slight him at all. I think he's been very good in his role. And something that I will talk about on both of these shows as we go through them, I love Super Shenlong. What a fun wrestler and somebody that I am just delighted to see every month on these shows. Yeah, it's something where I feel like that 
with Shenlong, it was like a really the like it was a couple years late to kind of really do like a revention like this, but it was something that was going to be very patent and clear as soon as they went with this that it would work. But it was something that the way that everything has meshed in together, and especially in that match, and Ho Ho is someone that like I was really like almost taken aback by in the Triangle Gate match. Like I was. He was great. Yeah, it, I, it, it's it's another one of those Dragon Gate success stories that we have to talk about. You know, I I think for, you know, the Ricochets and the Rich Swans and the Matt Seidels and these people that had, you know, a clear before and a clear after when they were done with Dragon Gate, Diamante is on that list, obviously. And I think we have to add Ho-Ho to it of a guy who who came in, you know, his time in the Cruiserweight Classic, he kind of wrestled like a guy with two left feet, but... You know, he's been in Dragon Gate for four years now, and he is calling him a competent wrestler would be unfair. He is better than that. He is somebody that when he is in the right role, he can really shine. And this Triangle Gate match was an example of that. Yeah, and it's something that like this match, like the way that it was set up was so much based on the power of Jackie Funky Kame, like selling that like. You you need that when the uh, hot tag comes in that you really like feel like okay finally we're going to get the retribution for the kung fu masters and that's going to take it, it takes more people to tango with that and I really enjoy the uh, the work that Shenlong and Ho Ho did when that when given the opportunity to in a match that very much was not about them and I thought that that it's that's taking opportunity by the horns. All right, let's go through these shows. I have a lot to say on both title matches. I have a wild prediction that I'm going to throw out as well when the time comes. So so let's get into it. Absolutely. So the shows are up on the network. The show on the 15th will be up until the 22nd. Uh, they've been doing this now that there is two feeds now for the non-English uh, uh, feeds, uh, the, the non-Corkin or Big Five shows where... One feed is what you're used to, where it's the moving hard cam with no commentary. The other one is the moving hard cam with Japanese wrestler commentary. If that's, it, it's something where I haven't necessarily checked out because it's sometimes when they do like those kind of commentary things, they really like tone down the the ring mic, so you can only really hear the commentators. But I wanted to point it out there. It, one night, it looks like it was Kota Minora and Minorita who were just like goofing like i saw the photo of them all at the desk i was like oh these are two guys who are just out there having a good time <laughs> yeah. like it, it, I, it I, I watched i watched the commentary feeds this time around okay. and i i would say that your observation that everything else is a little bit quieter uh to make up for the commentary is a correct observation so i i will likely be going no commentary going forward yeah and it's something that with like I know that like there's still like the split attendance thing, so Dragon Gate's only now going to have their first uh, show with uh, claps. Man, it's something where I would probably I don't know anything in specific, but I don't expect them to have like a big boom of these shows like other promotions where I the the, the fan base gets into it loud enough for me to be able to like discern stuff that I don't want the uh, crowd mics to be potted down at all to hear. Uh, Kakuda and uh, not sorry, not Kakuda, uh, Kota Minora and Minorita like make jokes about bananas. You know? Bingo. Yep. Yeah. So getting into the 15th show, the show on the 15th, it opened up with uh, D Courage, uh, Dragon Daya and Madoka Kakuda versus Mochizuki Jr. and Ishinahashi of M3K. It was Kakuda with the snap pile driver on Ishin in nine minutes and 15 seconds in the post match. 
they finally made it official. Madoka Kakuda is a full member of Decourage. Kakuda apparently thought that he was a member all along and had special gear that was already going to be debuting the next night. The Madoka Kakuta Ishinihashi chemistry jumped out to me in a vivid way here. I, I don't recall seeing these two square off before this, but I want a whole lot of them wrestling after this. They they stole the show here. Three and a half star opener, really good stuff off the back of Kakuta and Ishinihashi. See, I thought that Junior was the pair there. I, I, I was a little underwhelmed with Ishin, but I really liked it. Junior like being able to try to chop down the tree. I thought that that was really kind of cool. Well, Junior is just, I mean, I'll talk about more of the triangle game match, but oh my <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, I, oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I was three and a half as well. Fun opener, as with all Dragon Gate streaming shows, this match is up for into perpetuity on Dragon Gate Network's YouTube channel for free. Uh, let me ask next- you, let me ask you real quick. Yep. When it comes to year end awards, let's keep this Dragon Gate specific right now. Okay. Do you look at Madoka Kakuta as a most improved candidate? No, because there are people on this roster who I think have improved more and have been more consistent about it. And I would like to know those names. Uh, Jackie Funky Kame. I think he has gone to another... I, I, right now, he might be my most improved. Do, do you think... To, okay, interesting. You think kame has gone up a level? I mean, he had a five-star match at Kobe World. He did. <laughs> okay. All right. A and fair points. And, no argument from me. And have Kung Fu Masters... Have, have they had a match that has not, at very least, been very fun? No, not that he's been in, at least. Yeah. That's interesting. And, I hadn't. I hadn't thought of him, but you're right. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things that actually this year after the Diamante, uh, after like we could almost name it the Diamante uh, Most Improved Wrestler Award, I think there are some strong candidates here this year. Like also, like in, in all honesty, like Strong Machine J. Yeah, he is. He was my clubhouse leader going into this. I was kind of looking at Jay and I was looking at Kakuta, but you might be onto something with Kabe. Hey, just just as a thought. Just is a thought. Uh, speaking of Jackie Funky Kame, uh, his uh, Kung Fu Masters were in the second match. It was Jackie with Ho Ho Loon and Super Shenlong the third versus the unaffiliated team. And if you could probably guess what three they are, you're right. It's Sakashi Yoshida, Punch Tomonaga, and Problem Dragon. Ho Ho Loon won in seven minutes and 18 seconds with the Sky Render Fisherman Driver. Another uh, super fun outing from Super Shenlong. You know, this is a, a combination of guys that they were put behind the eight ball a little bit there. Problem Dragon, Punch Tamanaga, and Takashi Yoshida. But boy, did I enjoy the Super Shenlong portions of this match. Yeah, it, it was something that, like, it was good for the Kung Fu Masters, you know, to get that, like, redefining win after, like, how bad their Tokyo excursion was with it. And it just was something that, like, you had, like, the... Th- Yoshida and the two scrubbiest guys on the roster and the most unaffiliated team possible for me. So like it just it was something that was like, oh, okay. But I thought that the Kung Fu Master work here was fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh next up was a special singles match. It was the open the Dreamgate champion, Yuki Yoshioka, versus the newly debuted Kaito Nagano. Yoshioka wins in five minutes and two seconds with a release powerbomb that he is calling. The Bone Mace case. He's going to bring out the Bone Mace for your 140-pound sopping wet wrestlers. This was a fascinating match. We talked about this last week about how 
I, I wasn't really sure what a babyface dominant champion like Yoshioka was going to look like wrestling such an undersized underdog rookie in Nagano. And if that was something where both guys were going to be able to keep the integrity of what of what they do. And I thought they walked that fine line incredibly well. Yoshioka looked dominant, but didn't look mean, if that makes sense. And Nagano is somebody who is is starting to really shine on these house shows. If you haven't been watching the YouTube uploads, I recommend checking out some of what Nagano has done lately. He's doing some, uh, for lack of a better term, some crazy shit on offense, noticeably this twisting pop-up head scissors that he did that I, I've, I, Mike, I've never seen anybody do that before. No, and like anything that I've seen like close to it has been like stuff done with like dolls or something. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the, the the closest way to describe it is it's a pop up tornado head scissors. He did a three sixty. Yeah, because he has a full twist rotation before he hits it, and it, it it was something that like the crowds both nights, very good crowds, loud crowds, really into what was being put forth in front of them, and that was really nice to see, especially with someone like Kaito Nagano with with Case. The one thing I've hammered about Kaito Nagano. This guy is going to live and die by how much this crowd is willing to accept him. And the crowd was going nuts for him here. It was really, it was really nice to see. And he's gotten so smooth. It's something where it really is seeing him take those steps and the crowds connecting with it that he, I'm really happy to see him at this point. Like it's a five minute sprint. It's a five minute beatdown match, but I really enjoyed it. I was three and a half on it. Yeah, I have I have no qualm there. I, I'm right at three stars just because of, of how short it was. But it is one of those deals where I, I think over the last two and a half months of the year, I'm really curious to see what sort of opportunities Nagano gets and if he gets more big singles matches like this. It, it, am I wrong in thinking that he's had more singles opportunities than the average Drangate rookie? It, if it wasn't for what Minorita went through, I would say by far. But okay. it, it's kind of comparable in a way. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I would really like to see on one of those December Corkin shows, because they do the two, and there's there's normally you know one or two sort of fan service special challenge matches. I would really like to see Nagano versus Diamante. In the same way that Diamante versus Fujiwara stole the show in the first quarter of the year, I think the basing ability of Diamante with the creativeness and innovation that we're seeing from Nagano, that could be the thing that really jumpstarts his career and it starts to put him into phase two. Yeah. It's something that I think that if you watch him, you just have to think, Oh, him and Diamante, like that's just going to be like a knife, a knife, a hot knife through butter. I don't know why I stammered for that, but it's something where like, the, this was what I wanted to see for him to get to that step. Like now, I'm now I'm totally confident that those two give them time, get them, get a crowd that's into it. Like me, I would have it in this building. I would in November. I would run that match, give it seven minutes, and just let it go off to the races and put trust in your twenty year old rookie who's already shown a level of body control and and innovation that uh, you know only comes from Dragon Gate. Yeah, no, he's he's becoming a very unique talent where, again, I, I have a hard time projecting out a ceiling for him. I don't know what he's going to look like in a unit, 
but I know that right now these unaffiliated rookie versus veteran singles matches, I'm becoming increasingly excited every time I see him wrestle because he's doing stuff that I think is really innovative. Absolutely. The next match did not have innovation in it, but it did have an old friend returning for the first time in a few months as it was the dawn of Okinawa, the matchmaker of Ryukyu Dragon Pro. Gurken Mask has made his return to Dragon Gate, which means we get to hear the best theme in wrestling Gurken Drive as he teamed with Sachioko Boy, Dragon Kid, and Ultimo Dragon versus Don Fuji, Ginki Horiguchi, Konamawa Chikawa, and Big Boss Shimizu. It was your touch football match of the night. Gurken Mask wins as he always does, but this time it was over Konamawa Chikawa with a leg roll clutch. This was a match. This happened. Yet, uh, 10 minutes did not need to be 10 minutes. No, it did not. Match five was the original M2K, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, and Azushi Kanda versus the Z Bretts team of Kai, BB Hulk, and Diamante. It was BB Hulk with the first flash on Yazushi Kanda in the post match. Smarting after the loss, Kung Fu Masters came out and challenged for a triangle gate match for the next night because Masaki Mochizuki has been going to the restaurant and has been dining and dashing. And you know what? Jackie Funky Kamei is just not going to stand for that case. <laughs> I forgot that was part of this. Uh, how about Masaki Mochizuki doing an over-the-top rope dive onto all of Zebrats in this match? I mean, one, that's insane. Man, you are getting to your mid-50s now. I mean, you're, you have a son out there. I mean, you're potentially could be a grandfather. With this family, he could be a secret grandfather. I can't state that. Ah, Mochizuki Jr. is a looker. I, it would, I would not be surprised. I, we cannot discount that. This is a man who've, who, who hit a son. And, we've, and as we'll get into next night, we'll talk about how the son is picking up dad's tendencies here. Who's to say that old Jr. maybe it has that one working out too. But yeah, no, that was insane. And for me, that was the high point of this match. The rest of it... You know, it was kind of there. It was something that I was, uh, I, I, I was kind of surprised that this match was not M two K was not really that over in this match. Did you notice that? I, I, I've noticed that every time they wrestle without Mochizuki Junior. You know, the the prior M two K reunions that they had done, or I guess I, I shouldn't say that. It seemed like when they did the M two K reunion in twenty thirteen and they they won the Triangle Gate belts from World 1 International, it seemed like that was really over. And the few times that they've trotted it out since on like one-night-only type deals, it seems like that has gotten a response. But like we talked about with Jay, you know, there was that weekend in June where Junior debuted, and then he got injured, and they had to run, you know, instead of M3K matches, they had to run M2K matches all that weekend. And it was old men doing an old gimmick and it it didn't really hit the same way that you know a normal mochizuki match would or a normal susumu match would and that is something that this unit's going to have to deal with and and i'll you know as we get on with this review i'll kind of uh lay out where i think m3k is going but no absolutely you're right yeah and it was something that for like this kind of match it i i when you already have tweener versus heel and you're gonna be doing double ring out with it and they're going to be going to the tried and true like the it, it's something where i think what it is now is that the this is a fan base that the m2k act doesn't have the cachet that it did 10 years ago 
So, you know, yeah, it is what I mean, it it's, is. A, it's a 20 year old gimmick. It, it makes right. sense, especially with the turnover this fan base has. Yeah. So, like, it was just something that I thought was kind of marked there. Uh, the semi main event on this show was Gold Class versus the Natural Vibes team of KZ, UT, Strong Machine J. Strong Machine J got the win with his submission. He's been tapping out everyone with a diamond frame lately, Case. And in the, in the post match, Natural Vibe gave Gold Class a whole bunch of bananas. This was awesome. This was a really, really fun match that got hot towards the end. A really great UT match. Uh, it's, you know, I talked about this last week about how it's so weird. All of the iterations that Gold Class has gone through, you know, they were the unit destined to bring women back to Drangate. They were these hot guys. Ashita leaves. You go, oh, this is kind of awkward. Doi gets hurt. You go, oh, this is really awkward. And it looks like you owe Ben K an apology because Chicky Chicky Ben K is the charisma machine that you had had for years now slandered this man and said that he didn't have being a, a comedy yet credible rapping superstar. You said Ben K could not do that in me. Let the record show in the same way that Dave Meltzer has been right about Dragon Gate all year. I've always said you give Ben K a hip hop gimmick. He's going to make it work. How long am I going to take this out? <laughs> I took, I've taken it in writing. I made an entire match review about how awesome it is. I mean, Ben K, I think, now has an argument to be the worldwide most charismatic wrestler. Like, it is something where he just comes out and he, he walked around the ring for the entirety of the gold class theme, just doing chicky, chicky, chickies, the people in the crowd, and they loved it. They loved it. I, I If you were to tell me in 2019... Like all the things that would happen over the next three years, Binke having personality was not would have been one of the ones I'll be like, okay, now are, are you trying to pull a fast one on me? Like it is astounding that he is this charismatic. But case, I actually had a question for you here, please. And I want you to can just consider this as I'm putting this out here, Minorita as rookie of the year. Uh, no, no, I, I, it's, if it's not Takuma Fujiwara, I don't think anybody has an argument, but I would like to hear yours from Minorita. Minorita has gone from someone who was going to be a squash wrestler and it was going to be like, oh, can we get crowd connection here to, oh, I'm going to be a comedy, uh, mascot character to now being like, just like an understanding of, okay, who I am, my physical being. And my ability, it, it's something that you do not see some from someone who is a rookie. And it's something that, like, I, I'm i on board. I still think Fujiwara absolutely is rookie of the year. But I think there's something that, like, if you think about, like, the, the span of things, and I think Fujiwara coming back from Mexico kind of puts a dent into that in a way. But Menorita has been here this entire year. And if it's something that, if you want to, like, look at it in a certain way, you had five months of, of Takuma Fujiwara. We're getting a year of Minorita, and I think that's something that should be brought into discussion. I have become so smitten with Fujiwara's work in Mexico. Now, again, he could have Fujiwara could have retired in May, and I still would vote for him. I think he is so far ahead of everybody else because really, I, I, I see your point with Minorita, I would argue that that Mochizuki Jr. has as strong of a case just because I'm so impressed by the upside of Mochizuki Jr. as well. 
historically throughout the past year, we, at least I, because you're making up for it now, I have unintentionally shaded Minorita. I have not given him the credit that he deserves, but Takuma Fujiwara is somebody that I, I see carrying this promotion over the next decade. And I thought what Jay said, and I will continue to bring this point up the last time we talked to him, where, you know, part of the gut punch that was June and July in Dragon Gate was Fujiwara left. And and Jay noted that, you know, especially on some of these smaller shows, it was becoming a thing that you were going to go to the show to see what Fujiwara was doing. And that is so abnormal for somebody that was six months into their career. I think Fujiwara, from what he did November through May in Dragon Gate, and then what he's done in Mexico since, which hasn't been anything extraordinary, but I, the way he has embraced those crowds and the the lucha culture as much as he has, I, I can't I, I can't even consider anybody else. I mean, to me, it's Fujiwara on his own page, and then page two on that word document is everybody else. And, and, and I think you're absolutely right. It's it, it is something that I pose that question as a way of giving Minerita his, his roses because it's something that it must like you're dealing with someone who has completely broke the scale here and it's something that also i mean like same thing with mochizuki jr you're dealing with someone who's completely broke the scale here and it, it, it's something that you know you don't want to be in the shadow of that and i think that Minerita for someone that it was not necessarily his path forward was even more muddled than kaito nagano he has made himself something that, like, I see Minorita as a role, maybe not as the direct mascot of Kota Minonora in a decade, but it's something where, like, I mean, Dragon Kid and, like, roles like this, like, there is a path there that was not necessarily there for him where when this year started or when he debuted. Yeah, you know, I, I talked about it last week. I think we're going to hit a point where Minorita is just going to be a phenomenal pro wrestler. It's going to really happen under our nose, and he's certainly getting to that point. In, in a normal, I mean, again, this is what I talked about on the podcast about a month ago, was you have to remember that given the Observer calendar, Ishin Ihashi is eligible for Rookie of the Year this year. So you have Ishin and you have Minorita and you have Mochizuki Jr. And in any other year, it's just like, oh, the, the, any of those guys, you know, it, it, um, you know, 2014, 2015, 2016, those are the guys. It's just we're dealing with a different stratosphere with Fujiwara. I mean, I just think so highly of his work that, again, I I, I see, I, I hear what you're saying about Minorita. I think it's valid, and I also can't even seriously consider it just because Fujiwara, to me, is on such a different level. That's totally fair. That is totally fair. The main event for the first night in Kobe Sambo Hall was for the Open the Brave Gate champion, it was Hyo making his third defense against Jason Lee. Hyo was successful with a back with a wrist clutch backdrop suplex and what in 19 minutes and 30 seconds. And what I thought was a really fascinating uh, Brave Gate match. I, I loved it. You know, this is this is the sort of match where you're either gonna be all in or all out. And I can see somebody that maybe, you know, watches Cork and Hall shows, watches the big shows, and then doesn't necessarily care about, you know, the Kobe's and the Fukuoka's and the Kyoto's not really loving this, but it's Hyo when it's Jason Lee, which I think is a plus. I'm already going to be a certain level of invested there. And in the same way that the 
Vibes versus Zebrat's uh, series of singles matches at Cork and Hall. By the end of it, it felt really epic. It felt really important. All of the bullshit, all of the weapon spots, all the distractions. By the end of this match, it felt really, really important. Yeah, no, it, it it's something that like when you had the moment that when it got deep into the Zebrat shenanigans, the chair assisted senton where natural vibes came out to provide the backup there and to stop uh, the Zebrats cheating. It, it's something that like this is a very Dragon Gate style kind of like worked match, especially with like a prominent heel champion. And Hyo as a heel champion, it's completely different than SB Kento when he held the belt last year, but it's incredible in some way i think hyo has really started to make the belt his own in that way and just as a point of correction that was this was his second successful defense second defense his first being against sb kento at uh kobe world last year i, I think you know Sorry. you you and i have always been a little bit higher on hyo than most so i think we saw this coming before most people did but i it's this this is why i get annoyed when there are people that talk about Drangate as like this uncertain future, you know, oh, oh, what are they going to do without Naruki Doi or whatever? Hyo has become a vital part of this promotion. Like, Hyo matters in the day-to-day of this promotion in a way that Doi hasn't since the day that he dropped the Dreamgate belt to Aiden. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but it also shouldn't be. It's the fact that they took this guy in leopard print and Converse, who was a nobody for three years. You and I were his only fans, and then one day they said, what if we make him a big brain heel? What if he has the biggest brain in this company? And that's sort of his entire thing. And they have run with that to a remarkable degree to now he's a Bravegate champion. He's headlining this show in Kobe. Nobody bats an eye and then he crushes it in the main event doing his own thing. He is his own entity in Dragate, And it's fascinating to watch another guy that he needed a little bit more time than most but another young guy who has now become somebody that matters in Dragon Gate. Yeah, and it's something that this really it the, the fact that now he started like throwing people around as like finishing this like man, I did not see the big cat doing this 5 years ago. Like that wrist clutch uh of uh, just a uh, backdrop driver as a finish looked disgusting. Like it's something where like he has completely revolutionized himself. He's completely like carved a path that in a way it's something that gives him to this promotion such a like bright future that's like oh he he can do this and you know maybe we we're discussing and for oh in a couple years that Hio actually is the heel leader or maybe he is right now and it's just we have not had like the actual like reverting to form where he should be like as like the main talker of the unit he should be the heel lead the heel leader Oh, I mean, Zebras could fold tomorrow, and I would buy Hio as a credible heel unit leader 100%. Absolutely. And it's something that, like, with how this was working, this is, again, as you said, like, I could see it being a little a, a little difficult for some people who don't really like the, the amount of cheating that Dragon Gate just kind of does as, a, like, a core fabric of the promotion. But I, I want four stars on this. I thought this was fantastic. Four stars on this as well. I, I I thought it was great. If you're into I, it, it's hard to explain what this match is. If you're into the Dragon Gate brawling style, then this is this is going to be for you. It's a whole bunch of chaos, bunch of big chair spots. There, by the way, Jason Lee hits a Hong Kong tornado in this match. 
or no, no, it's the maximum driver. That's what he calls a little Michinoku thing. Yeah. Uh, that he, that move always looks gnarly, and he hit the gnarliest version of it ever in this match. It it dropped Hyo right on his fucking head, and it looked incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that with concert with the Triangle Gate match, like we have really started to see like peak continental Dragon Gate in a way that is really kind of cool with to me. Like this was very much like something you could see in a territories. This kind of match. Yeah, it, it was great. It's a great way to cap off this first show and a strong way to lead into night number two. Absolutely. So night number two on the 16th will be up on the network until the 23rd. The opener on this mat on this show, which as usual, will be up on the Dragon Gate Net or on the YouTube channel for the Dragon Gate Network into perpetuity was Decourage versus Natural Vibes. The complete now official Decourage three-man unit of Yuki Yoshioka, Dragon Daya, and, and, and Madoka Kakuda versus KZ, uh, Big Boss Shimizu, and Strong Machine J. It was Shimizu with a direct pinfall on the Twin Gate champion, Dragon Daya, with the Big Boss press in 12 minutes and 55 seconds after a machine killer as well, and a hot opener. Uh, look, th- these two teams, any combination of Vibes versus Decourage, I'm going to be into it. I especially like this version of Vibes, this bigger unit. Instead of, you know, Jason, Jackie, and UT, we got the big boys here, and I am into that anytime that that happens. Really good outing for Strong Machine J. Uh, I I think he is somebody who, just because Vibes is as loaded as they are, he's been great, but I think in the second half of the year, he's fallen towards the back burner a little bit, and I would really like to see him have a big match in a featured spot soon because I, I think he's more than capable of killing whatever opportunity comes his way now. Yeah, and it's something as we're getting closer to Edeon Arena Saka November 6th, Gated Destiny, Twinkate does not have a match set for that night, so maybe keep Shimizu and Strong Machine J in mind as a possible challenger with that direct fall on a champion. I would be super into that. I I, I thought they were going to go with Dragon Kid and Kondo, and, and instead we're getting a Dragon Gate singles match, which I'm I'm all for. I think that'll be super good, but... Yeah, that Shimizu and Strong Machine J as a tag team. I would, I would be into that. What about would they do? Would they do Shimizu and KZ? I think that they'll probably have KZ looped into whatever. Uh, no Skywalker. We'll, we'll talk about Skywalker later. You could probably do KZ, but also have KZ and UT probably available if you want to do a Ryukyu uh, tag match instead. Uh, that's right. I day. forgot. Yeah. Well, that's okay. There you go. Then you do Shimizu and Strong Machine J for the Twin Gate belts, and you do KZ and UT for the Riku Dragon Pro belts. Well, who would def- who would they defend against? I, whoever they want. I don't care. It's the Riku Dragon Pro belts. That that is fair. That 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 is absolutely fair. I did not mention this, and uh, when we we're talking about the post match and the uh, Brave Gate match, but speaking of Gate of Destiny, we do have that Brave Gate match set. After Hyo basically taunted Dragon Kid since becoming champion, they are having that match at Edeon Arena Osaka for the Brave Gate title. I I am excited for this. You know, I'm trying to think of when was the last Dragon Kid Brave Gate match? Was it him and Susumu at that Memorial Gate? Yeah, it, it would it would have either be that or during the interminably long Ada feud. Yeah, that was that was after or uh, the Susumu match was afterwards. Yeah, uh, March twenty first, twenty nineteen, was when Dragon Kid lost the Brave Gate belt to Susumu. That was the last time that he was involved in a Brave Gate title match. Uh, since then, he wrestled Pac for the Dream Gate belt in May of twenty nineteen. 
and then has been involved in a handful of Twin Gate matches since then. And Mike, quick, gun to your head, could you name the Triangle Gate team that Dragon Kid was on in 2020 that won those titles? Oh, uh, that was uh, Dragon Kid, Rio Saito, and my man, man, Kenichiro Rai. Son of a bitch, I thought I had you with that one. Yes, uh, the... It had Anakin the... in it, man. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, the the match, this is February 7th, 2020. Dragon Kid, Arakin, and Saito win a three-way elimination triangle gate match where they defeat the champions of Hyo, Takashi, Yoshida, and Diamante and Team Dragon Gate of Kaisuke Akuda, Strong Machine J, and Yosuke Santa Maria. I have I have zero recollection of that. Oh, I remember it because that was the match that uh, Arai uh, separated his shoulder doing the Firebird splash on the finish. Okay, that I remember. Yeah, I don't. But I, the Okuda, rest of it, yeah. Okuda, Jay, and Maria does not ring a bell. Man, the three-way generation war was weird at some points. Team Dragon Gate, especially some <laughs> some combinations there that I don't think were totally ironed out. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is absolutely for sure. A team, however, that was especially ironed out case was the uh, Riku theme team of the Dawn of Okinawa Wrestling, the boss of Riku Dragon Pro, Gurken Mask, teaming with Shisa Boy. Versus the M3K team of Zushi Kanda and Ishinahashi. That's kind of a rare pairing, but that's what you have when you have a triangle gate match in the main event. Uh, Ishin got the win with the Kamada style choke slam on Shisa Boy. Look, I'm not going to not recommend an, a match with Ishinahashi and Gurken Mask in it. That is my sort of thing. If that is your thing, you should watch this match. Yeah, that that that's exactly the right way of putting it with this one uh match three another singles match with a dragon gate rookie this time it was ryu fuda versus kai kai just cleaned cleaned up here he looked good the kid looked good on offense i mean he still looked like a, a problem like we had a little bit of a problem for about 45 seconds then then kai absolutely murdered him with thrust kicks and lariats to win in a minute 23 i i love this i i am all about fuda uh, jumping, you know, Fuda jumps with the bell, kicks him for about 45 seconds. Kai shakes all those off. And then Kai just, you, you know what Kai has that nobody talks about? He might have one of the three nicest super kicks in all of pro wrestling. Oh yeah, he does. You know what it is? He does a little lean with it. Yeah. He, he lean, leans with it, rocks with it. Exactly. Yeah. But no, this is, <laughs> th th this is fun. And it's, it, it, it's something that with like Fuda, Fuda is someone that again, I'll reiterate what I've said before. I'm giving him time before I really make any sort of statement about him. But this was the, this is the kind of stuff that food is not like in like competitive, like tag matches, like having him get out there as a hothead and trying to do like this. Cause all it's going to take is somehow food versus Tomonaga. Then he gets like a flash KO and then you're off to the races there. Yeah. Kai killed him with the Larry at the finish there. This was brutal. This is what, this is what I want from Fuda. Like I said last week to reiterate, he should be on every televised show until the end of the year. And we should, he should make it so that we always have to stop down and go, Oh, I like that Fuda did this this week. And that should be his goal for the rest of 2022. If he can stay healthy, if he can work every show, I think he'll be okay as we hit the new year. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we had the Royal Sanbo next. Uh, participants, Ultimo Dragon, Dragon Kid, Don Fuji, Ginky Horiguchi, Kamamao, Ichikawa, 
Problem Dragon, Punch Tomonaga, UT, Jason Lee, Kaito Nagano, and Hio. This one was more themed around the Brave Gate title, but with some kind of goofy stuff happening in between. It was Dragon Kid eliminating Hio with a almost reverse Ultra Hurricane Rana that DK was able to pull himself back up, drag him through the ropes, or to throw him off balance towards the ropes and do a head scissors to win. Uh, I enjoyed this one a little bit more than usual because how goofy it was at times. It was fine. Yeah, I, I was uh, I, I checked out is not the right word, but it, this did not ever grab me as one of those fun battle royals. This was merely something that existed. We did have Punch Tomonaga get the crap beat out of him by uh, Kaito Nagano. That was good. Who was it? Did Ultimo shoot kick punch on the last set of shows? Yes, he did. Yes, <laughs> yes, he did. Fucking awesome. Uh, uh, well, speaking of Ultimo, Ultimo, like not being the first person in there. So everyone's standing around for two minutes as he does his full entrance. Like that was the best thing, I think, outside the title matches on these shows. I, I guess I should note now uh, as we get to the tail end of these shows. But so the High Spots Wrestling Network, there's now two of them. I don't understand the difference between the two. I love high spots, but the way they've marketed this is so poor. I have no idea what's what. But on highspotswrestlingnetwork.com, which I think is the one that most people subscribe to, there is now uh, the Chris Hero Shoot Interview series. There is the episode with Ultimo Dragon that is on there. It is really good. It, it is I think people that like this show will particularly enjoy this because it's by no means am I as wise or intelligent as Chris Hero, but I get a kick out of these because Hero asks a lot of questions that I would like to ask these guys, whether it's Bandito, uh, which I thought was excellent, or the Mike Bailey one, which was really good, or this Ultimo one, which I really, really enjoyed because you get a lot out of Ultimo. Now, I think... You have to take some of these things with a grain of salt. Ultimo could, uh, he's as open as I think somebody like him could be. I have to factor in, there are a few different times throughout the thing where he could just be working and being very polite. Uh, but it's a really interesting watch if you care about how Ultimo Dragon came to be. Uh, his childhood, how he got into wrestling, that sort of stuff was really interesting. There's a, a very good chunk on Universal. And then sort of the... Hero digs into, okay, who are the Toriyaman trainers and why did you decide to do T2P differently than you did Toriyaman? And Ultimo goes into that explanation, which is really, really interesting. Hero then asks about Toriyaman X and Ultimo is like, uh, I ran out of ideas, <laughs> which is <laughs> very obvious. Um, the, the one... <laughs> the, the, the one beautiful part of the interview I, I i thought hero did such a good job it's two hours it flies by sunny ono translates and he does a great job sunny ono is a very uh, seemed like a very interesting guy from just him translating and occasionally interjecting um th there's a few interesting notes just in terms of ultimo and where he is at with wrestling currently and you know you and i have talked a lot about how uh, 2022 Dragon can feel a little bit like 2003 Toriumon at times and how that is both comforting and concerning. And there's, there's a few different quotes he has in there that just made me think about where he's at mentally. My favorite part of the interview though, is Hero was talking about when Ultimo was in universal and he's like, you know, you were in Mexico, you were trained, you came back to Japan 
at what point did you believe that you could be like a champion or a star? And Ultimo just kind of looks at him and is like, always like a month into training i was ready to be a champion like what are you talking about like i've all i've yes. always believed in myself <laughs> that, that, that is some male soul mindset right there <laughs> it's just it's like a stupid question like all i fucking rock always <laughs> <laughs> the most like i would have been really disappointed if he didn't answer that way no like, would, like oh you know it, it took me until like 1992 to really figure myself out no ultimately was like no a month in i was crushing it like i was ready to be a champion <laughs> <laughs> just rules just rules uh i i think we were talking about the royal sambo and then gosh ultimo yeah i it, it's something i wanted to get that watch before this week but that is something i'm gonna save for i like that was a treat like i said the bandito one the bandito one is great like i i, I think chris is doing some of the best interviews in wrestling right now so completely absolutely. agree if you could figure out which which high spot network you're supposed to subscribe to, it, it's worth going out your way for. I'm not dumb, right? That's like super no. confusing. Case, I think it is. Pardon my French, dumb as fuck. Okay, all right. It's I, I want absolutely to, dumb I as fuck. want to support whatever they're doing. I think they do good work. It is so confusing the way they've laid this out. Yeah, and they haven't made it easier since then. No. So, no. Uh, semi-main event from the 16th. Uh, it is a, the uh, gold-class tag team of Kota Minora with Minorita, but tagging with Benke versus the Z-Brat team of Hulk and Diamante. And Case, I did a little poll today about this match, uh, and my and I like to talk about the results here it, before we get into this match. Uh, you have the floor. So a big thing about this weekend, and I think it's going to be something that's going to be run with for a while as they're going to do is the fact that everyone thinks that instead of gold class, they should be called gorilla class because Ben K still, I mean, he, he's now a font of personality, but he's not exactly a book reader. So everyone's been handing him a banana. And after gold class won this match, he ate the banana. And the question I asked our Twitter uh, listeners, because podcasting, you know, goes across all forms uh important poll will ben k pull a griffin mcelroy and chomp on a banana by the three-way six-man tag at cork and case before i read the results do you know did you have any frame of reference of what this was until i posted the gif no okay so yeah no it's a podcaster slash video game reviewer who decided to eat a banana straight in from the stem down and it became a meme for a while i think it has to happen so do our Listeners, 56.7% of the votes say that Ben K will eat through a banana before the Corican. However, 36.7 says not by then, but soon after. And only 6.7% people think that Ben K will always eat a banana the proper way. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> important findings. I, I, I would like to, I would like to see I would like to see Ben K eat a banana with a skin on. I think that'd be really funny now that I think about it. It, it, it is tremendous. Like he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. It's know? not a, it's not banana skin. It's a banana peel. I guess I should yeah. I should correct myself before the Discord does. Yeah. So this match ended with the what they're calling the spear of Minorita, which is Minorita gets in the ring. There's the distraction. He does a head scissors. Ben K spears them. But, uh, and this very rarely happens in Dragon Gate. They kind of messed up the misdirection. So Yagi clearly saw Minorita go through the head scissors on that. But it was uh, Binke penning BB Hulk with that. Yeah, I, I thought this was fun. You know, uh, 
I'm I'm into the gold class right now. It, it has ebbed and flowed throughout the year, but ultimately I am into the gold class. I like Ben and Menorah as a team together. Like that's something that I wasn't really expecting. I didn't think they would gel as well as they do, but I, I enjoyed this whole thing. Yeah, no, gold class is just a ball of fun right now, and you can't take your eyes off Ben K. And if they're not going to go with Shimizu and Strong Machine J for the Twin Gate, like this team works, and it gives some meaning to gold class as you're you're restocking it as it's clear they're probably not doing away with it at this point yeah then we had the main event it was for the open the triangle gate championship it was m3k of nasaki mochizuki susumu mochizuki and mochizuki jr versus the kung fu masters of jackie funky kamei hoho loon and super shenlong the third susumu got the win which is a rare thing to say in an M3K match, after he penned Super Shenlong third with a Mugen package in 19 minutes and 43 seconds. This match was the third successful defense of M3K's Triangle Gate reign. Didn't this just feel like... I don't know if old school Dragon Gate's the right word, but wasn't it, it wasn't it just nice to have just a great Triangle Gate match to close out these shows? Oh, it... It, it's as comforting as, you know, a anxiety blanket on a cold day. Yeah, it's just, it's one of the, and look, I went four and a quarter with this. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. And it is one of those matches that I will point to. And I will say, if this happened on a dynamite, you know, people's heads would explode. If this happened on a raw, holy shit, I don't even, I, I don't know what would happen. We'd all get Triple H tattoos, I guess. But it's just one of those matches, you know, we'll forget about it two months from now. But this was really, really good. Ho-Ho was great, like I talked about. Uh, Kamei is always great. I, I thought Shenlong was so entertaining here. The the, the one uh, pair that really jumped out to me, and I'm curious if they did to you or not, I am ready for a Mochizuki Jr. versus Jackie Funky Kamei singles match. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, my, my Mochizuki Jr. point that I was going to, that I was saving for this case, he is going to be such a fuck in 10 years. Oh, my God. Like... He has now somehow managed to inherit his dad, his dad's bulleting match style. That's why I'm like, who knows if this guy already has a kid already? He's already inherited his dad, like being an absolute prick to JFK. It was now, tremendous stuff. I, I I will apologize if this veers into lore territory, but there is something that I enjoy about you know Masaki Moshizuki, scrappy underdog. You know Koji Katao trainee Buku Dojo found his way into Torimon and made himself stick. Mochizuki Jr. had a green light into Drangate. You know, he's had it pretty easy, all things considered. And born so, on third. W w born on third, you're exactly right. So when the script flips and Mochizuki Jr. becomes dominant, it's going to have a little bit more edge to it. It's going to be getting beat up by, like, the jock in high school we're just gonna hurt a little bit more because this guy has been a little bit more lucky he's got a little bit more money he's a little bit better looking than you whereas you know masaki mochizuki is is a blue collar guy all things considered so when junior grows that is going to be a very interesting thing to look at yeah and it's something that i mean he's still 20 you know he's 20 it's disgusting mike it's just I, I i'm not gonna get into it again i don't know what these people are watching if they are down on this company he is 20 years old and he is this good yeah no absolutely and it it's something where like seeing like this kind of match and especially the fact that this match 19 minutes long 
really only was a three-on-one match, just like old school, like getting heat on JFK for the first 10 minutes of it. And then when Super Shenlong the third and Ho-Ho Blunt get the tag and then they do like the back-to-back Kung Fu, like fighting off sequence for the hot tag, I was just all in at that point. Like, And then Super Shenlong the third in the final stretch that he had with uh, Susumu Yokosuka was just fantastic, awesome stuff. The crowd was ignoring regulations. It was a... It felt like a old school Dragon System three way or, or trios match. It was, it, I was four and a quarter too. This was just such a fun way to end a weekend. And w- when you like want to talk again about like how this company has changed and like the the fact that like okay like you have all these people on excursion here, no Yamato, no Ada, sold out the building. Yeah, with- three three ninety three. Most people they've put in this building since the start of COVID. Super no vacancy, full house, sold out, completely sold out, and just phenomenal stuff. And you it look looked at that, like it too. And, you know, we, we've we've seen yeah. this building look pretty thin over the last two years. This looked like a very packed crowd. No, yeah, and you, when you look at that, you have a twenty-year-old and you have someone who's twenty-three doing this, being the cruise, being like the crux of this match. Yeah, no, this was uh, this was very enjoyable. Now, Mike, I have a crazy prediction. So, can you please walk us through the post-match? So I can I can let this take a loose under the world. All right. So the post match we have our Triangle Gate match set up for Gate of Destiny, November sixth. Uh, one thing I want to say about AEW commentary case, but while while I'm saying this, they made sure one of the coolest things that they did was talk about like, hey, we're talking about a scenario with when you combine this with his match he's having coming up on November sixth, Yamato could be a double world champion in this because of this tournament. And that's, I thought that that's that was great a, to hear. That is great yeah, to hear. Yeah, that was a really cool point that I wanted to make sure to say that on air. I really thought that that was something we haven't seen so far. But getting back to the post match here, uh, they they get to the point where they are doing like the uh, the Dragon Storm's already playing. The, so the show's closing. They are posing for the photographers with the uh, tro- with the uh, titles and their certificate, and then over the. Uh, and, and then over the the PA, you, you hear a whole bunch of laughing. Out comes Kai with fake Shun. Kai cuts a part of a promo and then holds up the microphone to fake Shun. And then very clearly, and now it's very, very clear at this point, it was a fake record. It was a taped recording of Shun Skywalker playing challenging M3K at Gated Destiny. And that the, the Zebrat side, side will be Kai, Shun Skywalker, and this fake Shun, who who is now referred to as Masked Z. So when Bill Simmons does his podcast, he does this thing where he'll throw out a crazy take, and right before he does it, he'll go, "Nephew Kyle, turn the camera on." And I I guess it's for like TikTok and for Twitter, so he can repurpose this take for digital content. And if this were the Bill Simmons podcast, this would be my nephew Kyle turn the camera on moment. Because I've been covering this promotion for seven years now, and I've never been more confident and more excited in the prediction that I'm about to give for who this Masked Z wrestler is. Before I give my prediction, I'm going to give you a chance to steal my thunder, steal my high spot. Who do you think is under the mask? All right. Uh I still hold to the fact that whoever might be Mass Z between here and Dangerous Gate does not matter for who the actual Mass Z will be when it's revealed. And saying that, 
I think we need a someone from Natural Vibes to heal to do a heel turn. And what if it was Strong Machine J? That's a you know, Jay is not somebody that I thought of. Jay is somebody that I would really like to see work as a heel at some point. So I think that is a very, very valid uh uh prediction. But I think you are a little off base in who is turning from what unit. We are talking about a triangle gate match with M3K. Mochizuki Jr. is involved. And at Gate of Destiny, November 6th, I show that I will be watching live that we will likely have same-day audio of because I'm very excited for this show. It is going to be M3K versus Kai, Shun Skywalker, and the newly turned heel, Ishinihashi. I am betting right, the I'm house on this. I, 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 I'm I am, so, I am so in on this idea, Mike. I am convinced this is what's happening because you can't like, okay, so I've been right about the Triangle Gate all year long. Bl- brief blemish on gold class thinking they were going to get the m3k run once i saw gold class lose i said nope there's more coming there's going to be somebody else that has the sustained title run you can't debut a guy under a mask and then have them lose so m3k has to lose this match and they're not going to have them lose unless it's giving a reason for junior to lose and that reason is going to be that ishinihashi can beat this fucking guy up when his dad doesn't save him. I I'm totally for it. I mean, if you look at Ishin's gear, I think it's kind of cool how rough and ready it is, but it's not the way that gear usually goes in this company, which makes you think that, Oh, it could be temporary. He's never been happy about this. His dad told him to do this. He, he's not been the one reaching for the fist bump every time. No. He's he is turning on Mochizuki Jr. In the same way, if you recall this event in 2020, uh, let me let me find the exact pairing here because I want to make sure that I get this right. But going into that show, there was an opening in the Triangle Gate match. So what happened was uh, third, no fourth match on the show. It was Kento Kabune, Madoka Kakuta, and Taketo Kame versus Yoshino, Ultimo, and Kanda. By the way, the rookies went over in that match. <laughs> And then four matches later, Kazuma Sakamoto and Takashi Yoshida needed a Triangle Gate partner on who comes out, but Kento Kabune, and they beat the team, by the way, of Doi, Punch, and Shimizu. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Team Boku kind of caught me by surprise there. But I have no doubt in my mind that they will be running back a similar angle with Ishinihashi. He'll wrestle on the undercard, he'll team with Kanda, he'll go over, and then later that night, he is going to turn on M3K and turn specifically on Mochizuki Jr. Yeah, it it makes so much sense now that you've laid it out there. Is it a little big brain? Maybe, but it just makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I I, I came to that conclusion watching the main event, knowing what was to come, and I'm I'm so in on this idea. This is this is my bet the house. This is my turn the camera on moment. Seven years of covering this company, I think I finally got one right. Hey, I, I, I totally, now that the more that you've put this into my mind, I, it, it makes the most sense. And I, it's something where, like, if there was any idea, like, the only other person that, like, you would rocket ship this with this company, with the way they operate, would your eyes would go to Rio Fuda. And I just, like, it, it, it's something where, like, 
yeah, he got the crap beat out of Kai. Maybe it's now like induction kind of thing. I just think that it makes way too much more sense with the way you laid out for Ishan. That's good to hear. Thank you very much. I'm I'm really excited to be right on November 6th. Hell yeah, man. Uh, is there anything else really on these shows? Like for, for two Kobe shows with the uh, ace of the company out of the, out of the picture and one of your biggest stars doing whatever he's doing, a lot of stuff went on on these two Kobe shows. Yeah, the other thing to note is that Takuma Fujiwara will be back at Gate of Destiny wrestling Ata in a singles match before returning to Mexico. I think th- I I think this is solely to get Fujiwara in front of a cheering crowd. Maybe that is me thinking a little too highly of this kid, but I think this is a decision 1000% that they want him on this show specifically. Yeah, so I have a different rationale, I think. And Please this is ahead. my big brain. This is my big brain one for the day. So this has happened many times before. Most not- most recently, Ata did it. But Akira Tozawa famously did this in the midst of his excursion, that he returned for Kobe World. Ironically enough, uh, teaming with Case and Dave's favorite person, Osawa Rongai. And the rationale there... Your your great friend, great friend who apparently is retiring in a few months. Apparently, I, I apparently. believe that when I see it. The, this is where you say allegedly, and you mean you mean it with every bit of your heart when you say allegedly. But, of course, uh, Tazawa was there to renew his visa. Now, famously, uh, Takuma Fujiwara cannot work in the United States because he does not have a U.S. working visa. Dragon Gate does not d- d- does not outlaw in that kind of way. What if? he is having like a visa interview for the U S because like, I, I assume with the relationship with mass Republic and it seems like it's going to such a way that they've talked about, like still having more groups to play. What if that's a reason here? And then you could also get him against Ata in front of a cheering crowd. Yeah, I, I, I would buy into that too. I think, I, I think it, it lined up very nicely uh, to where, they have to kind of play nice with the visas, but then also this is a show where, you know, they're not throwing Fujiwara in an eight-man here. They're throwing him in a match against Ata, and that is not by accident. Yeah, no. Uh, and it's something where, I mean, Dragon Gate is not messing around with Gate Destiny. Like, they are going to be dealing with the fact that the, the capacity will be limited, but they are... If, if The thing with Dragon Gate is, like, for a lot of buildings, it like Corkin, it makes bad business sense for them to go to a cheering crowd. But for a gated destiny, it makes perfect sense, and I and I really like the fact they're loading up the show with a lot of stuff for the crowd to cheer for. It is Yoshioka versus Yamada for the Dream Gate, Hyo versus Dragon Kid for the Brave Gate, M3K versus Kai Shun and Mask Z for the Triangle Gate belts, and Ata versus Takuma Fujiwara. Uh, those are the matches announced now. Those are four huge matches. I am really really excited for this show after the Fujiwara news. Yeah, it it looks like that this could be the show of the year for Dragon Gate at this point. Absolutely. And uh, unless you have anything else, bud, I think we're about done here with this episode of Open the Voice Gate. That is all I've got. All right, so thank you all for listening. Uh, this weekend they have their uh, one of their double headers in Across Fukuoka. We'll be back next week to talk about it. Was there a DG and USA match this week? coming up or is i feel like we're in a little bit of the lull before the end of the month with uh shelly versus uh yamato isn't there game changer shows this weekend oh is this the detroit one with uh commander versus shun yes yeah it is 
let me see if I can find these real quick because you know it's they're gonna it's gonna take me a second. It is yeah. So Commander versus Shun and Gresham versus Yamato on Saturday, and then on Sunday. Boy, I don't know if I can find this. Uh, I think great they're promotion. wrestling on Sunday too, but I can't. I can't find it. What a great promotion! Uh, they're the best. Yeah, uh, I'm all right. I'm going to take one last look. I did not notice anything announced for those two for those shows, but I can't discount discount the chance that it's probably happening. Twenty third GCW moment of clarity. Don't see a lot of stuff announced for it, so I don't. And it's in Columbus. They never announced Shun and Yamato for Columbus. Okay. Uh Yamato versus Blake Christensen is happening on Sunday in Columbus. Or Blake Christian, rather. Okay. <laughs> Fine, I guess. I mean uh, look, yeah. Dave Sapolsky wanted to see him wrestle Masadi Yoshino, so he must be doing something right. Hey, hey, he's got the right people looking out for him, that's for Apparently. sure. Apparently. Yep. But that will do it for us this week on Open the Voice Gate. We'll come back next week to talk about that and the two shows in across Fukuoka. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Open Voice Gate Cases at underscore in your case. I am at Fujiheya. Uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, please throw us a five-star rating and review. It helps more people find out about the show. But that's going to do it. We'll be back with you next week to talk more about Dragon Gate. Take care. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.